welcome to the first episode of Pull Up A Chair and Let's Talk Care. I hope you sat in a comfy chair and have got a beverage of your choice and you're ready to talk about all things care. Now firstly, this first episode is a little bit of a mishmash. There's no script, there's no route that I'm going to follow, but what it is going to be about is about care and what it means to me, but also about some of my experiences within the care industry. What we know is social care is quite a diverse industry. We aren't the NHS, we are social care. We work with the NHS, but we're not part of the NHS. We have a lot of private funding, but also some local authority funding. We work with people from the ages of zero to death. We provide services for all in between those ages. We aim to provide a service that meets the needs at that time and look for the future. That's what social care is, but it is so much more. And that's what we're going to talk about. So get comfy. So I've worked in the care industry for 33 years. I've been lucky enough to have gained experience with many different client groups, from people with learning disabilities, people with dementia care, people with mental health problems. And throughout that time, I have learned so much about people and about the different professionals within our industry. It's been an interesting career, and there's no point in me sitting here and saying to you it's all rainbows and fairies, because it's not. However, What it is, is different and unique. It makes you step back and think. And it makes you see people in a different way. It allows you to provide support to people at their most vulnerable. And it allows you to provide guidance to encourage somebody to have goals and set those goals. It's not about storage. It's not about just sitting around in a big room with a TV in front of you. It's so much more. It's an industry that I chose to be in from 16. And that choice started with me doing preliminary certificate in social care at Northlands College in Scunthorpe. Um, And there were people in that course that inspired me to want to carry on and work within the industry. And that was because I was able to go on placements to different places, to a a children's home, to sheltered dwellings, to a nursery, to a day service for people with learning disabilities. And I was able to gain some insight into what it was like. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe the course prepared me for the reality of working in care. And I can honestly say some of the things that um, I have experienced would make your hair curl. And I remember my first day. I remember it like yesterday when I walked into this big room in a big style institute um, and meeting clients for the first time, service users, people with learning disabilities, adults. And my first interaction with a lady was for her to ask me if I had a fanny 
which I didn't really know how to respond, for her to then go, well, I've got one, and open her legs. I have to say, I took a massive gulp and thought, was this for me? But then a colleague came over and just said, that's her initiation. She must like you. And so then I carried on and got on with my learning because I learnt as I worked. My knowledge grew daily, yearly, and my experience honestly was incredible. Don't get me wrong, there were dark days and those dark days when I had a poor manager and they were quite difficult and that's the thing. But as I grew with experience and as I grew with confidence, I was able to speak up. I was able to say, no, stop, that's wrong. And I was able to be able to change what went on. And I was part of the solution and not the problem. But the social care is sometimes not seen as the trendy industry. If you ask somebody, what do they think caring for people in an elderly home is is like, they might say, oh, well, you wipe a lot of bottoms or you sit and have cups of teas. Yes, there is an element of that, but it's not what it's all about. And yes, be prepared. If you want to work in care, there will be some bodily fluids that you come across. There's no point in forgetting that. And if you are a care worker or even a family carer, you will know those poo stories. You will have them. I've talked to many people over the years and, and, and gone, gone to dinner parties where people that work in the care industry talk about those poo stories. And you've not really worked in care if you haven't got a poo story. It's not about, Ooh, oh, that's horrible. It's about the reality of life, isn't it? And actually realising that we all have bodily functions. Some of us can manage it on our own and some of us can't. And where people that can't, we need to be there to support them. And that's what social care is about. But it's not all about the poo. Okay, it's about the sick as well. No, I'm joking. It's about ensuring that people that you support have a meaning for life and that you empower them to make choices and decisions about their life and for them to keep that control. That's what care is about. So when we talk about experiences within social care, and I, I obviously my first day I've just shared, you also have to realise that if I wrote a book, it would definitely be called The Confessions of a Social Care Worker. Because there's so much that we do that many people would be surprised. The amount of times we've had to sit on a bus because somebody wouldn't get off it, or they wouldn't go in to see the doctor, so they sat in the waiting room and wouldn't move. Or they wouldn't get out of bed because they couldn't be bothered. They couldn't be asked. They didn't want to. Yet we've got a family member shouting from the corridor saying, I want my mum up. The amount of things we've dealt with. And the thing is, we've also been around for some important occasions, such as Mental Capacity Act coming out. Many of you will remember it coming out. It wasn't met with happiness from people's families. This company with people who learn disabilities. We did a whole event with um, one of the main psychologists at our local um, hospital and also the local MP at the time. 
think it was Anne Campbell, if I'm re remembering rightly, the local MP. And we were talking and we were trying to pass on this new piece of legislation that's going to be coming out and that we needed people to invest in it. And I remember a family member sat with their daughter who had a learner disability who used our service for respite and the family member just saying but she can't control her money we do it we manage it we say where she goes and it was at that point I realized that many of our service users didn't really control their lives and it was a big big part of my role at the time to push this new act but we had to be careful we had to get the families on, involved. But at the end of the day, things changed. And things changed quite massively. And families weren't happy. Not all, and I'm being general here. But we have been through some really important times. And we've been part of the change. Many of us will have been part of the discussions about these changes and how we we're going to implement them into our services. We've had so many interesting things. Honestly, if we wrote a book, I would think it would be a bestseller. Maybe I should. Maybe that's what I should do next. Not just about wiping arses. It's not just about doing things for people. It's about encouraging people to do things for themselves and living their life out to the end. It's about planning somebody's end of life so that they feel that they're still in control. It's about being part of that privacy and dignity. It's about equality and diversity. It's about understanding that we're all different and we all want different things. And we need to enable that. It's about ensuring that you smile. It's about observing reaction, facial expressions. It's about communication. It's about being there for somebody. It's about stopping loneliness. It's about enabling, supporting, guiding, assisting. It's about listening. And it's about providing the best care you can. And that's what care is about. And that's what social care is. Now, my career, as I said, 33 years lucky enough to work with people for learn, with learning disabilities for 23 of those, but duly diagnosed with learning disabilities and mental health conditions, which has a whole different ball game, really. Um, and some of those um, people that I supported were managed with medication for many years. And I'm lucky enough to be part of a solution that actually pushed and pushed to ensure that medication reviews were done and that when they were done they were done with the right people so we had a gentleman who'd not really talked for many years actually hardly talked actually grunted a little bit um could be quite interesting with his reactions to situations um but had lived at home until he was 45 with his mother and during that time of living at home, he was, he was given medication to suppress his anxiety and his behaviour, is what they called it. And that medication was medication used for epilepsy. He wasn't diagnosed with epilepsy, but they gave him epilepsy medication. 
this suppressed something in this individual and he really did stop it became an, a selected mute actually he decided not to talk or or couldn't talk or couldn't express what he wanted it wasn't until we did the review of his medication and how we found out is we were looking in the loft at people's records and we found um articles and um written up by the, his gp from years ago that stated about his behaviours and things like that and his reactions. And so we looked into it a little bit more and contacted the local uh, learning disability partnership team and worked with their psychology team for quite a while. And they decided to wean him off this medication. Now, honestly, <laughs> this gentleman started to talk. In fact, I went to a um, seminar and our... Um, service user was spoken about at this sem seminar and honestly it just made us feel that we'd done something worthwhile not for us but for him and it did in it did I feel enhance his life and he was able to speak and he was able to ask for things and he he was less um, upset and distressed so his reactions were reduced so he wasn't getting angry as much and that's because he could express what he wanted a little bit more and so social care allows us to be part of somebody's life, both at a transition period, whether they're going to go be more independent or at a period where they're most vulnerable, where they're going to um, need more support. And that's what I want people to understand about social care, is that it is a career that should be given the value that it deserves. It should be spoken about at school more eloquently. Um, eloquently, maybe not the word. But it should be seen as a, a choice, not as a, oh, if you can't do that, do this. And that is a hope, isn't it? That when we are talking about care, that people understand that it is diverse and it, and it, and it has lots of different strands. But honestly, it is an amazing career when you get the right place because it's not just about providing care, is it? So for me, for 20 odd years, I was hands on working with people with learning disabilities and I was lucky enough to work as a support worker, then go on to a senior support worker, to a deputy manager and then to a registered manager. And then left after becoming a registered manager actually was made redundant due to the fact of structure change and then went found an opportunity to actually train as an assessor, an MVQ assessor and a trainer and a tutor, which then led me to be able to open my own business and work as a trainer and a consultant in care. But also it allowed me to have an opportunity to compile workbooks for a company, write multiple choice questions for exams um, and write about care that will enable people to learn. And so I'm very lucky. And so don't just think it's about the hands-on care and that's where it stops. It doesn't, it goes on. Your knowledge, if you have it, can be shared. And that's got to be the best thing we can do is share our knowledge. I think what we've got to be aware of when we're sharing our experiences, our knowledge, we've also got to understand that working in social care is a hard job. 
There's no debate about that. It's full of unpredictability is maybe the best word to use. And sometimes you don't know what to expect when you arrive at work. But also, if you think about the last year and a half, and many of you have done an amazing job, and I thank you for that, but how hard it's been for everybody within the social care industry. The fact that people have had to make choices to be away from their family members and stay at work in caravans in the workplace. Or people have moved into hostels or um, bed and breakfasts to protect both their family and the people that they care for and support. The impact that working in social care has on your mental well-being, on your work-life balance. And I know of personal experience in a sense of that you put your all into working in social care. 24 7 sometimes and if you are working as a care manager you don't generally switch off or if you do and you go on holiday you always check your emails or many people do I certainly did and I can put my hands up that sometimes I never switched off which ultimately impacts on your family life There's no debate about that. It also impacts on your mental health, your anxiety, your stress and your distress. And when we are talking about social care, we mustn't forget that. We mustn't forget, yes, we provide care for the most vulnerable people in our society, but we've got to remember to look after the people that work in care, both paid and unpaid carers. We've got to remember to check on them. You've got to think about how it might feel for that person. How are they coping? We don't know what people's home lives are like unless they tell us. And it's not something we would openly ask because actually it's none of our business. However, sometimes and certainly through this pandemic, we need to make sure people are okay. And and remind people that it is actually okay not to be okay. And if they're feeling low, that they can tell us without fear of that being spread to somebody else or gossip or fear of people thinking they can't do their job. Because even with a mental health problem, you can still do your job well. As long as you're able to talk about it. Because I think back and I and I and I I'm a believer in admitting when things aren't going as well as they should be. Now (laughs) is maybe what I should say. But I remember looking back and thinking, I never stopped. I remember once we were supporting a gentleman and, and luckily, we were very lucky with the services around us to support our people who lived in group homes. Um, I remember once a gentleman who we knew was unwell and we knew he was very unwell and we constantly went to the doctors. And the doctor, because the gentleman couldn't communicate very well, um, required us to communicate on his behalf or assist in his communication But he could communicate. Sorry, I'm going to reword that. He couldn't verbally communicate, but he could certainly express whether he was unhappy or whether he was in pain. There was no debate about that. And 
that's what we've got to remember. And I'm sorry, I, I, I said that incorrectly. But I remember we time and time again went to that doctor to ask for support, saying that we felt he was unwell, there's something not right. We couldn't put our finger on it. We really couldn't. Until one day, one of my, my deputy manager at the time, I was the registered manager at the time, rang me. She says, Maxine, his eyes are yellow. I said, right, get him back to there um, and to point out his eyes. And I was in the car on the way to go in. And we did that and the doctor said, okay, let's get him to the hospital. So he was taken to A&E actually, um, which was very distressing as you can imagine. Lots of investigation and this gentleman loved his paper. He used to tear up boxes and he loved his time in his room. And all the tests were really distressing for him. And I remember getting a phone call from his family member who we absolutely had a fantastic relationship with. And I said, Maxine, can you come and be with us at the hospitals because they're going to give us some news. So as I went to the hospital, they informed us that he had cancer and that there was nothing they could do and he only had a couple of weeks to live. Now, obviously, we were shocked at that. Remember, we'd been pushing for ages for this. And I remember his family member looking at me saying, he can't stay here. I remember saying, that's okay, we can take him home. Now, we were a supported living setting. We weren't set up for somebody with complex needs that required a hospital bed and all of that. However, he was coming home and he did. And what we actually did was we hired loads of things from the Red Cross, which was brilliant and it worked. And we got it in and he came home and the success that that was for both the family and us was incredible because we were all able to be there. But I was there 24-7. I don't think I went home for days because I didn't want to leave people alone. And it was one of the first deaths that we'd had in the actual home because everybody else had gone either sent to a hospital or to a hospice. So this was our first death actually going to happen within the home because we, the care had been put in place. But it took its toll. It took its toll on my family. My children didn't see me for days. I think that's what's happening now with a lot of you. And it does impact on your mental health. And it impacts on you having enough left to be a wife, a mother, a sister, a brother, a father, a son, whatever, there might not be that enough left at that time. However, I won't regret it, but I'll, I'd certainly do things differently now. I say now, I say in the last four years, I do different, differently. I have more of a work-life balance. But I know many of you, maybe even nodding your head at this, that give so much. But I'm hoping that by talking about it, that you'll realise to take a moment, step back, pause and breathe and think, actually, I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm not going to take that extra shift. I'm going to actually say no to that extra shift. And I'm going to ask for help. 
And we want those providers, those companies, those businesses to look after their teams, including management, including hospitality teams within places or housekeeping teams or the activity coordinators or well-being teams, not just the care workers, the nurses. It's in making sure everybody who is part of that service is okay. And when I talk about is okay, it's about you asking that question. Now, a number of years ago, there was a hashtag on Instagram that was about ask twice. And recently, um, is it Roman Roman Kemp did a documentary documentary um, on TV about mental health and opened up the discussion about asking twice. And what we mean about asking twice is saying, how are you today? Pausing. If the person says fine, ask again. How are you really? Because that second time might be that moment that they open up. How are you really? And it's something we all need to do. And with that in mind, guests on this podcast are going to be both from family carers and paid carers, managers, specialists within their fields. And we're going to open up the discussion about mental health within social care. And we're going to open up the discussion about work-life balance and self-care. So the next episode is going to be with a family carer because this podcast, Pull Up a Chair and Let's Talk Care, is not just about paid carers. It's about those... the the hidden heroes of family carers who are an integral part of social care who fill a gap actually within a system that sometimes is a little bit broken or a system that is not as visible or not provided with enough money to run well so the first guest is going to be a lady who cared for her husband with a physical disability for many, many years and then developed um, Alzheimer's and through the journey of um, her husband's Alzheimer's until um, his death two years ago. I'm going to ask her what it was like, what the services were out there, how she felt at the time. Was she provided with the right support? What were the highs and lows of that journey? And also, how has she coped since his death? Because sometimes we forget about people that have cared for their family member. And once the person's died, we think, oh, they can just get on and they have loads of time. But actually, it's not as simple as that. So hopefully you'll get an insight into what it's like being a family carer, but also what services are out there and whether there are some informal ways to get support as well as formal ways. So for the next episode, it's for anybody again. So if you work in care, whether you're an unpaid carer or a paid carer, this podcast is for you. So follow us and join us on Pull up a chair and let's talk care.